So let's bow our heads. Father in heaven, we thank you for this morning and ask that you would calm our minds and our hearts from the busyness of the past week, from the busyness of the morning, even in trying to get to church. We pray that you would settle our minds and help us now to focus on the things that we are to learn about you today from our Sunday school teachers who have prepared uh, things to teach us. And we pray that following that, you would bless our time of worship and fellowship. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right, kids, you can go to your Sunday school teachers if if they're here. This morning, for the Adult Sunday School, we are on part three of our look at how do we make disciples, and we're going to start by reminding ourselves that we're looking at this book by St. Augustine, which is called On the Catechizing of the Uninstructed. Uh, In other words, how do you disciple new believers? He wrote it to Diogratius, who sent a letter to him saying, how do you disciple new believers? One of the things I've been doing with the series is telling you a little bit about Augustine as we go along. Uh, His style, his rhetoric, uh, his character and personality. And one of the things I wanted to share this morning is that at the end of Augustine's life, he wrote um, corrections and retractions. So he went back through and looked at all of the things that he'd done, and he wrote uh, amazing amounts of of uh, detailed corrections. So just as an example for you, at the beginning of this book, there's an introductory notice to let you know that while this has been reprinted the way that Augustine wrote it, Augustine also went back and made a correction to it at the end of his life. Uh, He said that he had said, for God knoweth how to dispose of souls that leave him, talking about 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 Satan. Uh, And he says it it would be more appropriate to say, Spirits that leave him. And uh, that's, that's the kind of scholar he was, and this great detail that, that he went through and corrected uh, all of his mistakes, uh, in so much as he could find them. And with that in mind, it's come to my attention that I've made a number of mistakes as I've been doing this series. I said uh, that Psalm 130 was about exile, and I meant 137. And I said... Um, that Ecclesiastes was about exploring the love of God, and that was actually Song of Solomon, is what I meant. <laughs> so, uh, so just trying to be like Augustine, I'm sure there are other corrections, but that can be uh, a learning point for us as well. Sometimes you hear somebody make a mistake, and you know what they meant, and you just let it go, right? People, we make mistakes all the time, and, and you just need to acknowledge them, and you need to go back when you realize and say, here's the mistake I made, Here's what I meant, right? And it doesn't undo your arguments, your points, and whatnot. It actually builds it up to be able to say, hey, I, I should have said it this way. I meant to reference that. Um, so that's it's something that Augustine gives us as a great example. Okay, so Deuteronomy chapter 32, 2, Moses says, May my teaching drop as the rain, my speech distill as the dew, like gentle rain upon the tender grass, and like showers upon the herb. We're using Matthew chapter 28, verses 19 and 20, the Great Commission. Uh, 
Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. And we're asking and trying to answer the question, how do we disciple new believers? Just to recap from the previous two lessons, uh, we've said that teaching new Christians should cover all of Scripture and church history, but not exhaustively or confusedly. Rather, in summary fashion, the history should be traced with more time devoted to critical moments and less to trivial minutiae. Then we talked a lot about understanding our audience, about rhetoric, how it works, and how you learn about your audience, and then you use rhetoric uh, in a positive way to be persuasive. That's the point. And Augustine reminds us that the point of the discourse is to, is to try to uh, teach and convince this person how much God loves them so that they might have hope, so that they might believe in God. And so we want to be persuasive. And then, being sure of our audience's sincerity, we proceed with the, summary, the summarizing of redemptive history. And redemptive history really covers everything, past, present, and future. So, summarizing scripture and church history. And then Augustine tells us, and of course, you need to tell them about the coming future. A lot of scripture is geared towards, I want you to know, so that you may not be ignorant, so that you're not fooled. Uh, I want you to know what's going to happen, right? And then, the ongoing struggle of the Christian life, so you have... Ex- the right expectations, realizing that you're not, uh, now that you're saved, uh, you're not done struggling with sin. It's not suddenly going to be easy. And then outlining a Christian ethic, how shall we then live? So today, we're going to launch into a summary of uh, Scripture. And I'm going to start by using a biblical example. uh, And uh, we'll just turn, if you've got a Bible, uh, to Hebrews chapter 11. I mentioned previously that there are lots of examples of summaries of Scripture, and we can't read them all. Uh, Hebrews 11 is going to get us started, and then we're going to launch into kind of an extemporaneous version that I'm going to give you as an example of what it is we're trying to do, and maybe some techniques for how to prepare yourself to do the same thing. Okay, so let's read together Hebrews chapter 11, thinking about how this is a poignant summary of redemptive history up to the point. Now, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. For by it, the people of old received their commendation. By faith, we understand that the universe was created by the word of God, so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible, By faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he was commended as righteous, God commending him by accepting his gifts. And through his faith, though he died, he still speaks. By faith, Enoch was taken up so that he should not see death, and he was not found because God had taken him. Now before he was taken, he was commended as having pleased God. And without faith, it is impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God, must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. By faith, Noah, being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen, in reverent fear, constructed an ark for the saving of his household. By this, he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out 
to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went out, not knowing where he was going. By faith, he went to live in the land of promise, as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. By faith, Sarah herself received power to conceive, even when she was past the age, since she considered him faithful who had promised. Therefore, from one man, and him as good as dead, were born descendants, as many as the stars of heaven, and as many as the innumerable grains of sand by the seashore. These all died in faith. Not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar, and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. For people who speak thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. If they had been thinking of that land from which they had gone out, they would have had opportunity to to return. But as it is, they desire a better country that is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac, and he who had received the promises was in the act of offering up his only son, of whom it was said, through Isaac shall your offspring be named. He considered that God was able even to raise him from the dead, from which, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. By faith, Isaac invoked future blessings on Jacob and Esau. By faith, Jacob, when dying, blessed each of the sons of Joseph, bowing in worship over the head of his staff. By faith, Joseph at the end of his life, made mention of the exodus of the Israelites and gave directions concerning his bones. By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents because they saw that the child was beautiful and they were not afraid of the king's edict. By faith, Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. By faith he left Egypt, not being afraid of the anger of the king, for he in, endured as seeing him who was seeing him who is invisible. By faith he kept the Passover and sprinkled the blood, so that the destroyer of the firstborn might not touch them. By faith the people crossed the Red Sea as on dry land. But the Egyptians, when they attempted to do the same, were drowned. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell down after they had been encircled for seven days. By faith, Rahab, the prostitute, did not perish with those who were disobedient because she had given a friendly welcome to the spies. And what more shall I say? For time would fail me to tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, of David and Samuel and the prophets who through faith conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight. Women received back their dead by resurrection. Some were tortured, refused, refusing to accept release so that they might rise again to a better life. Others suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. They were killed with the sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, maltreated, of whom the world was not worthy, wandering about in deserts and mountains and in dens and caves of the earth. And all these, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised, since God had provided something better for us, that apart from us, they should not be made perfect. Okay, so 
Why did I read that extended passage of Scripture? Because Augustine is telling us to summarize Scripture, and I want first for us to see that there's warrant in Scripture for this exercise. This is how the apostles taught. Everybody was new to the faith. And this is how we are to teach people who are new to the faith, to summarize Scripture. And, of course, it's masterfully done. It's uh, inspired by the Holy Spirit. So we can... We can go back to it again and again, but there will be times when we are asked to go ahead and summarize Scripture. We don't have that whole chapter memorized. So I want to offer some uh, approaches for how we can do that same summary that the author of Hebrews did, uh, even though we're, we're not under the inspiration of the Spirit as we're doing it, um, or may not be. So let's see. We've got a framework. We need to work with a framework. Our minds can hold a couple of things, so I would put to you that they can hold two or three things. So the first thing that we'll talk about is just how is the Bible organized? Your mind can hold on to that. I'll kind of describe to them how the Bible's organized. Kids are great for this because you want to teach all your kids so many things, and you want them to know what you know and believe what you believe, but you have to start breaking it down. Well, what, how, where do I start? And you, you realize they don't have the frame of reference that you have. Well... We start by teaching them the books of the Bible. Because then when you say, hey, you know, it says in James, they know it's a book of the Bible. And when you say, go look for what John says, they know where to look, right? And so how is the Bible organized? So briefly, when you're telling somebody about what the Bible teaches, you can just give them a quick outline. And by asking yourself the question, this is the power of catechizing, when you ask yourself the question, you know the answer. And the answer is, well, there's an Old Testament and a New Testament. That's pretty simple, right? And you can launch from there. And you can tell them what the Old Testament says or the New Testament says. But maybe you can go down one more level. You could be like, well, you know, there are major sections to the Old Testament and the New Testament. And I can use that to guide me through and make sure that I'm covering everything and not leaving something out, but also that I'm progressing. And I haven't spent 20 minutes in Genesis and we've got 25 minutes to talk, and now I, I haven't made a lot of uh, forward motion. So what about, you could use the major sections. What are the major sections? Does anybody know of the Old Testament? Would anybody like to hazard a guess? Eric? Um, I mean, I've divided it by history, wisdom, and prophets. History, wisdom, and prophets. Yeah, that's, that's great. And there's probably not necessarily a right or a wrong way, Right. Uh, you could divide it into those three, or you could, there's probably other ways to divide it, right? And so one, one I'm very familiar with is the first five books of the Bible written by Moses are called the Pentateuch. And so you call that the Pentateuch, and then I usually call the rest the history until you get to the wisdom literature, and then you've got the wisdom literature, and then you have the major prophets and the minor prophets. So both good ways. I think you used three, and I used maybe five, Right? And both are perfectly acceptable to help you be like, how am I going to hit the high points on these, keep moving, and, and not leave something out? And then, of course, after major sections, there's books of the Bible. This can become useful because you're not teaching the new believer about Scripture in 20 minutes. Um, you're, you're launching on an activity that's going to take days, weeks, months, uh, but not interminably. It's like this, this Sunday school. I've got four weeks. I'm going to try to work through this stuff, and then, and then we'll move on to other subjects, right? And, and similarly for the new believer, they're going to need to move beyond just 
knowing that there's an Old Testament and a New Testament. Uh, okay, so using the way that it's organized can be very helpful for uh, organizing your own thoughts and talking to the new believer about what it is they should be getting out of the Bible as they're reading it. And then another important question is, well, what does the Bible teach? How is it organized and what does it teach? And that's where, and I introduced this earlier on, I've referenced it, but we'll explore this more. Well, it it teaches the answers to the three basic questions that are in the minds of every single person. Uh, Maybe they're really young and they haven't started to ponder it, but they'll get there. Or maybe they've never consciously, consciously realized that this is a question in their mind. But every person has to live with the question and the answer they've come up with or has been given to them, of where did I come from? What condition am I in? Am I in? That's easy for me to say. And what is the remedy? Those three questions, again, are a framework for us. Because if you are talking to the new believer and you're saying, what does Scripture teach? How am I going to summarize Scripture to you? This will just keep you clipping right along to hit the important parts, right? And it can be as short as God made us for his glory, but we sinned against him. And even though we sinned against him, he set his love on us and he created a way to bring us back into communion with him. There is a summary of the Bible while you're riding the elevator. The job that I'm in right now Uh, it's a staff job in the Pentagon, and one of the things that we go over and over and over again is I I need to know the program I'm working on. I need to know every detail that you could possibly know and more than anybody else in the world knows about it. And I could tell you about that program for a couple of weeks without taking a breath. But then I have to be able to explain it in 30 seconds in case I step onto the elevator, uh, go up a floor, the door opens, and in steps the lieutenant general. And they go, hey, I'm on the way to talk to the secretary of the Air Force. Can you, what are the talking points I should have on that program? And I've got about three floors right before they step out, and I better have answered that question. That was, that was this description, right? Or maybe we have a Sunday school, like today, and we can actually give it a 15-minute description of what the Bible teaches. Or maybe we have a series and we can take a few weeks to explore it at a very high level, right? Because we're going to spend our whole lives learning about what Scripture teaches. Okay, so let's launch. I'm going to do a, a slightly more robust example of how we go through Scripture and tell the new believer what it teaches. Hopefully in about 15 minutes. Um, that might run us just, just a tad over, but... If you were not late, raise your hand. No, I'm just kidding. Don't. Don't raise your hand. So late start, late finish, but we'll try to get back on time here. Okay. Um, so, but, but how is the Bible organized and what does the Bible teach? We're using this framework. We're going to start with creation, right? God made all things. He made us in his own image and we owe everything to him. We owe him worship. We owe him love. We owe him obedience. We owe him thanks. But that's not what we gave him. This is Genesis in the Old Testament. It's the first book of the Bible, and we learn, where did we come from? God created us. But we look around this world, and everything's broken. Okay? 
The world around us is broken. Uh, the people over there are definitely broken. And sometimes I feel broken too, right? Why is everything broken? Because even though God made us upright, we sought out many inventions. And Adam and Eve ate from the tree that God told them not to eat from. This is in Genesis as well. And in Adam, all of his descendants fell. And so we're broken. And creation was subjected to futility. That's why everything around us is broken. What condition are we in? We're in a broken and fallen condition. And you know what? It gets worse. Because it's not just that I'm broken, you're broken, you screw up, I screw up, and to, to err is human and to forgive is divine, and we can just be nice to each other. We're going to die. We're broken, and we're going to die. And after death comes judgment. And after judgment comes an eternity of God's wrath poured out on you. What condition are we in? We've got a problem. We've got a really big problem. And this is really bad news. But guess what? The good news isn't really, really good unless the bad news is really, really bad. That's the first three chapters of Genesis. Where did we come from? God made us. What condition are we in? We're fallen and on our way to eternal judgment. What is the remedy? Well, that's where it picks up in Genesis chapter 3. The same chapter that the fall is in and the promise is made to the woman that there's going to be a seed. A seed that is going to crush the serpent's head. A new way for us to be in communion with God. And at this point, you're thinking, okay, we've made it halfway through chapter 3 of the first book of the Bible. We'll try to speed up. But, but that's some important stuff right there at the front of it. So, this seed is promised. And now, I'm going to give you a quick summary of the high points that are taught in Scripture. For people out there who haven't read the Bible all the way through, this is, this is something to listen to because you can, you can start to watch for it as you read the Bible. Where does this fit into that summary, to that outline? What is the point of this book that I'm reading? What is the point of that verse or that instruction? Well, let me give it a go. God promised to Eve that he was going to give a seed. And while Abel was born after this, he was killed by Cain. But then... God gave them Seth. And Seth is the seed from whom Noah comes. At a time when the entire world had rebelled against God and there was no good thought or or imagination in their hearts or minds, God was going to destroy them. But Noah found favor in his sight. He was of the line of Seth. And his three sons, Noah's wife and the three wives of his sons, went on to the ark, and they were brought by God through a watery judgment that cut off all other people. It's an archetypal baptism. In this way, God preserved Noah. He preserved the the line of the seed, Seth, Noah, and to Shem, Noah's son. The line continues through him to a man named Abram. This guy was a pagan, a Syrian. He lived in Ur of the Chaldeans. His parents were worshipers of the sun and the moon. But God called him out with his wife Sarai and said, I'm going to give you a land. He started making promises to him. I am going to fulfill that promise I made to Eve about a seed. I'm going to fulfill it through you. And then... 
that seed that comes is going to be a blessing to all nations. Abram was a Gentile, but God had him circumcised. God named him Abraham. He changed his wife's name to Sarah. And now he is an Israel. Well, he's not an Israelite. <laughs> now he is God's uh, person. And he is the first of the patriarchs. So when you hear us talk about the patriarchs, it starts with Abraham, right? Isaac comes from Abraham uh, through, through Sarah. But this is a miraculous birth. See, the way of women had ceased with Sarah. And yet Isaac is born. And from Isaac, Jacob, from a barren wife, and from Jacob, God builds the 12 tribes of Israel. Israel, Jacob. He named Jacob Israel. He renamed him. He gives him 12 sons. He builds them up through Leah, Rachel, Bilhah, and Zilpah, the wives of Israel. And Joseph, the son of Rachel, gets sent down by God to Egypt to save many people alive. And Joseph eventually brings all of Israel, about 70 people, down to Egypt to live in safety from the famine that is devastating the land. 400 years pass. And they grow from 70 people to a million strong. But the Egyptians have grown fearful of them. And so they enslave them. Pharaoh starts to kill all the baby boys, but Moses is put into an ark and floated on the river. It's another kind of baptism, as others are cut off. But the Israelites were enslaved by the Egyptians. God, he brought them out of Egypt with a mighty hand. With ten plagues, he destroys Egypt. And then the night before he delivers them, he has them sit down and eat a special meal with lamb, with wine, with bread, and he says, remember what, I am going, what I'm doing here, and what I'm going to do. It was the night before they were delivered. He leads them through the Red Sea, but the armies of Egypt are killed there. So again, in this baptism, they come through, and the Egyptians are cut off. By the people, but the people sin against God, and so he makes them wander in the desert for 40 years. And Moses, in this time, is used by God to constitute them a nation, with laws. Gives them all the different laws they need to become a people. And and they do become a people. And then God brings them in because of his love for their first parents. He brings them in to Canaan and he starts to drive out the Canaanites. Now we've gotten through the Pentateuch. How is the Bible organized and what's it teaching you? Now we are into the judges. And you'll see we'll, we'll speed up as we go. Now that we've laid the groundwork, because God, for the next about 400 years, uses the judges to lead the people in taking over this this land. And then the time of kings come, because they demand a king. And from their wanderings in the wilderness, through the ages of the judges and the kings, the people fail to keep the laws that Moses gave them. They fail to worship God the way he says to Again and again. But there is always a remnant. And they're always bringing their baby boys and having them circumcised. And they're always sitting together at the annual feast and eating the lamb and the bread and the wine. But then we get to the major and the minor prophets and the histories. Lumping them together. You have the history of Israel playing out. And you have the prophets commentating on it. You're not doing what you're supposed to be doing. You're not doing what God said. Judgment is coming. Curses have been uh, set in place. If you don't do these things, you'll be cursed, right? 
They were crazy men, these major prophets. When you start reading about them and the minor prophets, they did crazy things, weird stuff. Okay? They went around naked, lying on their sides for long periods of time, cooking food on cow patties. Lots of weird things. Um, they were dressed in strange garb, wandering about. And finally, God sends Israel into exile. He sends them first by the Assyrians, then then by the Babylonians. And there's still a remnant, though. There's a remnant in Israel. They get spread out. They get pulled back together. But there's a remnant. And the remnant keeps bringing their baby boys to be circumcised and sitting down and eating the annual feast of lamb, bread, and wine. And that is the Old Testament. And then we get to the New Testament. And Augustine tells us, in this book, in fact, that the Old Testament is veiled in the New... Now, the New Testament is veiled in the Old Testament... And the Old Testament is revealed in the New Testament. And so, all of a sudden, 400 years have passed, and there's this wild man. He comes out of the desert. He's in wild, crazy clothes, eating strange things. And he says that the seed is coming. The seed. The one that was promised to Eve. He says, look, that's him. He points at Jesus. He says, that's the Lamb of God that's going to take away the sins of the world. And he baptizes him, and the Holy Spirit comes down, and God speaks from heaven and says, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. Now, Jesus had been the son of God from the beginning. Here, he takes his place as the son of man. And the Old Testament begins to be revealed in what is playing out in the New Testament. Jesus is the promised seed from the Old Testament. He comes at last. He's born of a virgin. So he isn't in the condition that we're in because he wasn't born in an ordinary way. He lives his life in perfect obedience, unlike all of those examples we saw in the Old Testament. And then he gives himself up as a sacrifice for our sins. And the night before he does it, the lamb takes the bread and the wine. And he says, this is my body, my blood. Remember me. I am the deliverance. So he dies in our place. He takes the penalty of our sins. He suffers an infinite punishment so we don't have to have an eternal one. And that's the Gospels. And then in our organization, you get to the epistles. And in the epistles, we learn the meaning of God's life, death, and resurrection. His ascension and the commission that he sends us out to. It says, it teaches us that he didn't stay dead. He rose again. He ascends into heaven. He sits at the right hand of the Father. And he commissions us to keep his commands. He says, if you love me, you'll do what I command. And he commissions us to go and to preach throughout the whole world and in all time, because it's no longer just the Israelites, but the true Israel of God that he is gathering in, the spiritual children of Abraham. So now we're all sons because our identity is in Christ, the Son. So we don't just bring our baby boys anymore. We bring our baby boys and girls for the cutting off and the passing through signs of baptism, and we make disciples, and we sit down together, and we eat the lamb's bread and the lamb's wine. And this is the Old Testament revealed in the New Testament. We also learn that Jesus didn't leave us alone. He left us his word, and he sent us his spirit. And his word teaches us how to live And his spirit gives us the strength to do it.
This is what the Bible teaches. That is probably over time. Yes. So, but we were pretty good. We made up some time there. Uh, Next week, we're going to have a similar conversation about summarizing church history. So I hope that you'll be there. Let's pray and we'll be done. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you didn't leave us to wander and grope in darkness, but that you gave us a sure word of what you want us to know about you and what we're supposed to do about it. Please help us not to take that for granted, but to dig into it and to study it all the days of our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.